And we were meeting in a little, the little church building. It's now New Life Church on the corner of Cottonwood and Forth, not too far from here. We were a couple of rows from the front on, I think, the far outside right-hand edge. And it just so happened that who was in front of us during the kids' program was a couple of little girls who weren't excited, it did not look like, by their body language to be in the program. And we laughed the whole time at the stiff-armed little girls who actually, some of them had kids in the program this last week. What goes around comes around. I don't know. I, I was at home last week. I, didn't, I couldn't quite see if there were any little girls who were not so excited to be a part of it. They looked pretty excited to me. Christmas programs have been a part of Christmas tradition in Christendom, and I actually don't even know how long they have been. I tried to research this, and it was really hard to find that. I do know this, that there, was, uh, there is a Christmas, you call it a nativity play, with live animals and everything as far back as 1223, St. Francis of Assisi had one that was recorded. It was at least that far back. And we're going through a couple of our favorite Christmas carols and hymns, as Steph said, looking at some of the history and the meaning and the scripture that inspired some of these hymns. The, the, the hymn this morning is Away in a Manger. Away in a Manger is often learned by very young children. Uh, here at Cottonwood, for years and years, as far back as I think that first program with those not so little girls that I giggled at, I think even back then the three and five-year-olds were singing in Away in a Manger because it's probably the easiest, one of the easiest Christmas hymns for kids to catch on to. It, the, that hymn, Away in a Manger as a hymn, really is, I guess you could say melodically, a lullaby. It sounds like something you might sing to one of your children as, you, as they go to sleep. So we're going to look at all of the verses. It's familiar, right? You guys probably could say it by heart right now. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. So that's part of why it sounds like a lullaby, right? If you're sending your kids to bed, Jesus went to sleep. Now you go to sleep too. <laughs> the stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. And then the verse go, second verse goes on. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love you, Lord Jesus. And that's interesting because it's a shift. Now we're singing about Jesus, and now we're singing to him. I love you, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay. This is where there's a bunch of different versions, right? The one I remember to stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. But there's, there's slight variations in these hymns. Verse 3 is the latest verse. It was added later. I'll tell you what, about that in a minute. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to stay close by me forever. And love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care. And take us to heaven or fit us for heaven, depending on which verse you grew up with, to live with you there. As I said, it's one of the earliest Christmas songs we learn. This hymn originally when it was published, was actually misattributed. Um, when it was first published, it was published, the melody was published under Luther's cradle hymn, as though Martin Luther wrote it. Martin Luther did not write it. No one in Germany knew this song for many, many years 
until later on. Um, it was sort of, we don't know exactly why it was attributed that way. We don't actually know who published it that way. It's kind of a song that was sung and passed down. And when it was finally published, someone said, let's give it to Luther. So they did. Kind of the story was that Luther sang it for his children, and it was passed down to German mothers through the year. Nice story. Probably not true, but it sounds nice. Um, it first appeared, which we can look it up now, in a book in 1885, a little children's book of songs, which is probably why we teach it to little kids. It's so easy to. And another one was called, I like this title, Dainty Songs for Little Lads and Lasses. <laughs> it's a pretty dainty song. Um, it includes the third stanza. Originally, those first two where it was published, it was just verse 1 and verse 2. The third stanza was added a few years later by a Methodist minister named John McFarland to use in, you probably could guess, a children's Christmas program. He added the third verse just for a children's Christmas program in his church. So that's some of the history behind this hymn. What I want to look at the first each of these verses is I want to look for some of the purpose in the manger itself. The song is Away in a Manger, and the song paints this picture, pretty idyllic picture, of the day or the evening of Jesus' birth. <clears throat> the first verse says, Away in a manger, I'm going to repeat each verse again, No crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky, we can do the actions, right? Look down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus, asleep on the hay. <clears throat> Every child who sang, sings this song could look at Jesus' nursery and say, mine is at least as good, probably better, than Jesus' first nursery. They have a pack-and-play or a crib, or a bed. Part of the reason why this verse, or this, this song, I think, is easy for us to connect with is because it really gives us a beautiful picture of the humble beginnings of Jesus' life. Jesus came as a king, but he came and entered into the world in a station in life that everybody just about could connect with and realize that he came below socioeconomically, that where I'm at. Yeah, it's interesting, he, he was born and he was laid in a manger, and I love how the second part of verse 1 says, the scars, stars in the sky look down relay. Now just think about this. The very stars that were created by Jesus were now twinkling down with the glory that that little baby and a feed trough created them with. That's pretty wondrous to just contemplate that. It's packed into that little verse. And I wonder this, would you even know what a manger is if we didn't talk about it at Christmas? I mean, before being in a Christmas play or in a nativity scene or reading this story, would you, would you even know what the word manger means? I don't know that I would. I wouldn't. It's actually an older 
word that we don't use. Probably the only reason we use manger is because it has become familiar from an older English translation. If we just read like the New Living Translation, I don't know if it's in there or not. It might not be in that one. It's just more of an updated translation. It really should just say feed trough. It's just not as romantic as manger. But that's what a manger is, is a feed trough. And what I want us to take a look at is look at what might the purpose of the manger is be. We're going to look at three places where the manger is mentioned. The first one is in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which just kind of doesn't make a point of the manger at all. It's just recording what happened when Mary and Joseph were ready. This says in verse 6 and 7 of Luke chapter 2, while they, Mary and Joseph, were there, that's in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth when, when she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This, in this verse, the manger is just kind of like, like the cradle or the crib. It wasn't, it's not, there's not really focus given to it. It's just saying this is just what happened. Luke's recording the story. But I want you to wonder about this for a minute. You, you probably know the backstory that the reason Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem is that a census was ordered to be taken. And if that census hadn't been ordered to be taken, Mary and Joseph wouldn't have been in Bethlehem. But they needed to be in Bethlehem because the Messiah, the Savior, had to be born there. So who do you think sent the census? God did. He's sovereign over all. He planned this all together. If God could make sure that a census is going to take at the right place, at the right, just at the exact right window of Mary's pregnancy so that Jesus would be in Bethlehem at the right time, even though he doesn't live there, neither of his parents do. Of course, Joseph was his adoptive parent. Do you think God could have arranged things so that Jesus had a room? Do you think maybe he could have kept a vacancy open in an inn somewhere in Bethlehem? I think he might have been able to do that. (laughs) If he can arrange all of those details. And so if he didn't, why did he make it happen, ordain it to happen, that Jesus was put into a manger? I think there's purpose in it, actually. That's what I want to look at here. Bethlehem is the town where Jesus was born. Bethlehem means, you might know this, some of you do, the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. It means the house of bread, which I think is significant. Jesus was born in a manger, which also has food meaning. A manger, like our word manger, the old English word, it actually comes from Latin. You probably know it if you're like into science or anything like that. The, 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 word, the, part, the part of the word M-A-N, man, like mandible, which is like a chewing part of an insect, manger just has to do with feeding. So the word, the English word for us has to do with, this just says it's a feed trough. That's what Jesus had for a cradle, right? Here's one of the purposes of the manger. It was to hold the bread of life. Jesus was born in a town called the house of bread. And one of the purposes of the manger was to hold the bread of life, which is one of the things Jesus described himself as as an adult 
when he was revealing himself fully as the Messiah. The reason Bethlehem had to be chosen as the birthplace, why God ordained it that way, is Micah 5.2. We read this in our Advent reading. I think it was right at the very beginning, one of the prophecies. And here's what the prophecy says in Micah 5.2. I'm going to read it because actually what happens later in Micah 5.2, a couple of verses later, is significant to another purpose of the manger. But here's Micah 5.2, which says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah... Out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient of times. I don't think that it was a coincidence that Jesus was born in a manger in a town called the House of Bread, that the bread of life would be born there is fitting, not coincidental. It's fitting that that's that's the first manger would hold the food, a feed trough, that would give us eternal life. That's one of the purposes, I think, that God chose the manger. Verse 2 goes on to say this. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love you, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my cradle or by my side until morning is nigh. So there's this beautiful scene that's pictured of Jesus sleeping in the manger. And there's animal sounds. We don't know for sure. Was there cattle there? Was there goats? There's probably at least a donkey because Mary was on one just a little bit ago. Um, Probably there were sheep. At least they showed up a little later. My guess would be that some sheep were there at least. If you have a little manger scene, I'm not sure if, you know, there's camels and goats and sheep and all that. We don't really know. It's fine to imagine it just like this. uh, The poet imagines it. And then then the animal sounds wake Jesus up kind of calmly. Um, I have at times read too far into this verse as though Jesus doesn't ever cry. I think this is just a poetic scene that he sort of wakes up quietly, which sometimes babies do. Sometimes they don't, right, moms? But once in a while they wake up and they sort of just like quietly blink their eyes. And I guess this is what's imagined here. But then there's this second half of this verse which says as our response is that we love Jesus. I love you, Lord Jesus. And it's Lord Jesus, which means he's the ruler, that he means that he's the king over us, that he's the one that we follow. He's our leader. And this verse talks really about how Jesus is over all, kind of like the first verse, he was born in a manger, and these stars which he created looked down on him, is re-emphasizing in verse 2 that Jesus is Lord over all. Right now, he is, as verse 2 says, it says, look down from the sky. That's imagining Jesus in heaven, ruling in heaven. Look down from your heavenly throne on me and stay close to me. I love this verse because it ties together two really important aspects of God's character. One is that he is far above us in every way. He created the universe. And the other is that he's closer to us than we imagine. It's this paradox. Two aspects of God's character that are clearly revealed tied together in this verse. Luke 2, 11 and 12 is the second place in Luke chapter 2, the manger is mentioned. And this is mentioned as a sign to the shepherds, which is very interesting. Today in the city of David, this is the angel speaking to the shepherds, a Savior was born to you, 
who is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. And now here's significance given to the manger. It's not just sort of part of the background as it was earlier in Luke. It's important. It's important. Specifically chosen by God to be assigned to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, a shepherd knew exactly what a manger was. It was, it was sort of like asking a farmer, do you know what a tractor is? Yes, I know what a tractor is. Shepherd would know what a manger is instantly. They, would all, they used those regularly. <clears throat> Likely sheep were at this scene. Probably at least a few young lambs that the shepherds couldn't leave behind, even if they could leave their flocks behind when they went to go find this baby. And that's the second purpose in the manger, which is to reveal the good shepherd for the first time. Later in life, Jesus revealed fully that he was the bread of life, but there's a hint that he was the bread of life even in his birth, the circumstances of his birth, the house of bread put in a feed trough. And the second is to reveal the good shepherd, which he called himself later in life. You know that, that prophecy in Micah 5.2? If you go to Micah 5.3 and then Micah 5.4, let's read Micah 5.4. This is speaking about what kind of savior this, this man will be. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Even in that prophecy about Bethlehem, there's a connection to shepherding, that that's how Jesus will be. Of course, in John 10, 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Part of the meaning in the manger, which is a feed trough. You know why you use a feed trough rather than just throw the hay on the ground? To protect the animals. Because what else is on the ground is the feces, which is where parasites live. And so you want to get the feed off the ground to protect. That's why you use a manger in the first place. The good shepherd protects and takes care of his sheep. And one of the purposes in God choosing a manger, I think, is to reveal that the Savior will be a good shepherd. Verse 3 of uh, Away in a Manger goes on to say this, and this is probably the most personal of the verses, where we say to Jesus, Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to stay close by me forever and ever, and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in your tender care and take us to heaven to live with you there. Verse 3 continues this very personal, very precious closeness of Christ theme that was introduced earlier with that first prayer. Jesus, when he, right before he died, he has this long discourse, this long conversation at 14, 15, 16, and into 17. And one of the important communications that Jesus wants to give his disciples on the eve of his death. Now, we're celebrating his birth, but Jesus is talking about on the eve of his death. Is he's, he, he tells them that he's actually going to be closer to them than he's ever been after he dies. Because he tells them he's going to send them the Holy Spirit, who's described as the counselor and the comforter. He's, his, his purpose is to be a guide, to come alongside and that the Holy Spirit is actually going to be inside of each of them and with them in a way that Jesus isn't physically with them. 
This closing verse of this hymn really embraces two things. It embraces a present walk with God. When we sing this song, we're really, we're really saying, I want to walk with you closely now, Jesus, and I want to walk with you closely after I breathe my last breath in this physical body. I want to just keep walking with you into eternity forever. Would you lead me in that way? We're invited into a life that continues past our physical expiration date in our physical bodies into an eternal body with Christ in heaven. Luke 2, 16 and 17, is, this is what happens to the shepherds. They leave. They hurried off, verse 16 says, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They spread the good news. We sing that about Go Tell It on the Mountain, which is a story about the shep- a, a, a song about the shepherds sharing the good news that they experienced. Do you know what the third purpose in the manger was? These shepherds who came. I am guessing that one of the true images, very likely true, is the image of a shepherd coming with a very young lamb on his shoulders. Of course, it would depend on when, what time of year Jesus was born. Um, we celebrated in December. He probably was not born in December. Um, but if he was born at the right time, there likely could have been young lambs there. Do you know what those lambs were raised around Bethlehem for? They had a very specific purpose that the lambs, the firstborn male lambs were raised to die. It's very, very likely that the shepherds had brought some of those lambs which would be slaughtered in a few months in the Passover celebration with them when they saw Jesus. And that's the third purpose in the manger is to introduce the Lamb of God. John 1.29 said, John the Baptist, Jesus walked by, actually John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins of some kind. We don't know how far apart. But when John... The Baptist walked by with some of his disciples, and Jesus walked by. He said out loud to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist had an understanding given by God of what Jesus' purpose was, and that was that he came to die. We celebrate his birth, but when Jesus was born, there was only one reason for it. You could say it was to reveal God in the flesh, And the ultimate revelation of what God is like is found in his death on the cross. Bethlehem is where the sacrificial lambs were born and raised, and it's where Jesus was born. That is not insignificant. That, I believe, was very purposeful. Jesus spoke this about himself in Matthew 26. He said this. He said, the Son of Man, speaking about himself, will be handed over to be crucified And he goes on later in that chapter, just as it is written about him. Jesus knew that this was written about me. This is what I came to do. This is why I'm here from the very beginning. Just like the lambs, probably, that were even present at his birth or shortly thereafter, had the same purpose, that they were born to die. When we sing Away in a Manger, we're singing a song that is full of a lot of rich purpose. The purpose that's found away in a manger is that we are introduced to the bread of life who would give us eternal life. We're, we're introduced to the good shepherd who knows his sheep and does what it takes to protect them. And we're introduced 
to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's, that's really the purpose that we can find uh, in the manger. So each Christmas is really, you could say, it's a choice to come to the manger and receive Jesus as he reveals himself, the bread of life, the good shepherd, and the Lamb of God. So we're going to close today by singing Away in a Manger. And as we sing it, my prayer is that we would but we would mean what we sing when we say these things. So why don't you stand? I'll close with a prayer, and then the team will lead us in away in a manger to close our service this morning. Lord Jesus, you are over all things, and yet you're as close to us as we could ever imagine. Thanks that you reveal yourself for who you are through the scripture. Uh, This song and many others like it, inspired by your word, reflect a part of your character to us. I pray this morning as we sing Away in a Manger, as we reflect on the purpose behind why you chose to be born and placed into a manger, that even that had significance, the significance of your birth story for us. And that we would see that in the manger was the bread of life that can give us life eternally. In the manger was, although greeted by other shepherds, was the good shepherd, the good shepherd, who takes care of us and watches over us and protects us. And in the manger also wasn't just the good shepherd, but was the Lamb of God, who was born to take away the sin of the world by offering your life as a substitute for ours. Lord, thank you for doing that. Thanks for coming, Lord. You, you, you didn't come just to give us some fun, happy holiday memories, although that is certainly a sweet thing to do this time of year. You really came for a purpose, and that was to be a Savior who would sacrifice himself for us. I pray that this Christmas we'd embrace you as that Savior for ourselves. In your name I pray. Amen.